Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. You can also listen to us live and in the moment at our website, radionorthland.org, and tune in. Pick up that app. It's free, it's easy, and it's got a lot of cool stations on it, too. If you happen to miss the live program, hey, don't fret. Don't get upset because you can check out Wrestling Memories online at radionorthland.org. We have over now eight seasons. We're into our eighth season, I can't believe it, of uh, classic interviews, uh, classic episodes. We have interviewed a lot of legends, some up-and-comers. We've got the, we've run the gamut. It's at radionorthland.org slash wrestling memories. I'm Glenn Broggett, along with my co-host down there in the mobile studio, deep in the heart of Texas. He is uh, ready to go. Uh, he, he, he suffered a little bit of the heat, but you know what? He does it for the cause, and the cause is pro wrestling and wrestling memories. He's the man. He's the grizzled vet himself, Mr. Mike McCurdy. Welcome, my friend, from the mobile studio. Oh, thank you, man. Glad to be on here again. And uh, I feel like maybe I should start getting busting out a little bit of song. You know, the stars at night are, are big and bright deep in the heart of Texas, but well, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we'll, save, we'll save that for another time uh, for Sweeps Week. There you go. Yeah, karaoke time with uh, the Grizzled Vet. We'll save that for uh, when we need the big ratings. You better gargle with Jack, too, if you're going to be uh, getting that grizzled voice, man. There you go. That's how I got the grizzled voice, actually. Well, no, it was more of an allergy and weather conditions, but still. Yeah, you can call the wind Jack. I don't know. Uh, but definitely good to have you here, man. You and, 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 and wow, summertime is in, in bloom. It's so nice. Even up here, we're starting to get almost something that could touch uh, Texas weather. Not, but, not much, but uh, when it feels like 91, 92 degrees here at the time of recording, uh, yeah, we're feeling a little warm. But you know what? I never complain about that type of stuff because we could be just as easy, quick, fast forward into the dead of winter when it's 40 below wind chill, 50 below wind chill, and we just hate ourselves, hate life, and don't want to go anywhere. No, I'd, I'd rather just take the approach of if it's too hot out, I'll go in and get some air conditioning, but I'm not going to complain about the weather. No, 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 not summertime, man. There you go, man. Around here, man, air conditioning is your friend. Right now, we're hitting about 90, 95, but that's normal for Fort Worth, so. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and our I ain't guys, doing forty. I ain't doing forty below. No way. <laughs> I challenge you, man. Challenge you to step up for that one. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, even our guest uh, has a little bit more uh, weather uh, to talk about and share too. But you know, we're not here to talk about the weather the whole show. No, it's not the meteorology hour. What we're here to talk about is wrestling memories. And Mike, well, you've got a great guest. And when you told me that you you had secured the, this man, you have booked him uh, through uh, Grizzled Vet uh, Booking Productions. Uh, I was very excited because I remember first watching this man on the Global Wrestling Federation out of um, Dallas down at the uh, the old Global Dome aka the, the famed Sportatorium and I remember watching him and started to follow his career when he went to the USWA uh, he was in Puerto Rico I, I remember me coming up in the, the mid 1990s in the WWF uh, and this guy I mean not only has put the years in in the ring and has gained some valuable experience in recent years he has really uh, laid it down too when it comes to helping out uh, the aspiring up and coming wrestler uh, in the role of trainer. So what a full circle ride it's been uh, for our guest, Mike. And uh, I want to let you uh, give do the honors and, and introduce him because uh, this definitely has some good potential here to be uh, a great hour of wrestling memories. Well, definitely, man. This guy is a good guest for especially our listeners here in the Texas area because, you know, this is kind of where he got his start. Like you said, the Global Dome, two years with uh, world-class USWA during that whole merger time. You know, four-time GWF heavyweight champ, light heavyweight champion. You know, time in the WWF. People might remember, you know, the pug. You might remember the beach bully. But today on our wrestling memories, man, our guest, 
none other than Alex Porto. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, guys, what's going on out there? Not much, man. We're glad to have you on as a guest, man. I appreciate you taking the time to, to come on and talk about your career in the ring and what you're doing now, because Glenn and I always enjoy getting a chance to sit down and, you know, and chat with the guys, and I think our listeners enjoy hearing their stories as well. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you, guys. So you guys are out in Minnesota and one's in Texas. Great. Okay, good. I'm down in Florida, and so we got a little triangle going here. We got we got all the bases covered, man, and I'm pretty sure you pretty much worked all the territories in between too as well. So, but uh, you know, we're gonna start off this interview kind of the way I like to start off with you know all our interviews is you know going back a few years, you know back you know you're watching the wrestling on TV. What was it that you saw? Who was it that you saw in the ring that made you want to be a professional wrestler? That made you want to step inside the ring and do what they do. Well, it was probably 1983, 84 in Mid-South. I grew up in Louisiana, Shreveport, Bossier area. And, you know, I was watching guys like Jim Duggan and the Dog and Mr. Wrestling 2, the Freebirds, and Andre and John Studd. And, you know, Bill Watts just had a killer territory there. And and um, I just thought, you know what, what a way to make a living, man. <laughs> Working the ring 20 nights uh, or 20 minutes a night, you know, four or five nights a uh, a week and uh and and just you know um and and get all this glory and, and i saw what those guys were 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 doing and i just fell in love with it man and uh and, and i knew from 16 years old that that's what i was going to do in the 80s you know it was still not as easy to get trained as it is nowadays nowadays you can pretty much walk anywhere within a stone's throw of where you're at and you're going to find somebody who's willing to put you in the ring and 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 train you to be a wrestler we'll talk about that a little bit more later on but you know, how did you find someone? How did you get involved and get your training to uh, step into the ring? Well, you know, I I was a big mark for the Midnight Express, and uh, and 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 everywhere those guys went when they came into Shreveport, I, uh, I I I would meet them out back when they arrived in their cars. I mean, I was a big mark for those guys, and and Jim Cornette and I actually became friends. You know, we we spoke sporadically, you know, on a weekly basis because they were there pretty much every week. Finally, uh, one day I skipped freshman football uh, practice uh, to go hang out with Cornette at uh, Mr. Gaddy's Pizza uh, just to hang out, you know. And he knew that I had some heavy interest, and I was wrestling at the time in high school. You know, like you said, it was real, real tough to break in back then. And, and Bill Watts would actually have have guys shoot on guys and make sure that they didn't come into business back then, especially the ones that didn't belong. So, um, anyway, I was always a little scared of that because the guys that were coming in getting shot on were actually big guys that, that looked like they could be workers, but, uh, but they didn't want them around because they could just tell they weren't the boys. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's just kind of the way I saw it, but, um, I spoke with Cornette and he said, yeah, find somebody out there, a good bet that, that, that can do something for you. And, and so Jim Starr, uh, is the owner of Starr's GM of Bozier City. Prior to that, I'd, I'd gone around and, and did a few things with, with this company out, out by the Air Force Base. I didn't really know what they were doing. You know, we met at an old barn out by, behind a runway there, and everybody just kind of rolled in and did their own thing. We worked on arm drags and suplexes and, you know, hip tosses and headlocks. And I took a tape down to Jim Starr, which was one of the original mask interns in the St. Louis Territories with um, uh, Dr. Ken Ramey. Um, and he said, well, you know, you've got a lot of good stuff, but you got to put it together. Uh, you know, there's there's things called spots, you know, and, and you have to tell a story with that. Um, he said, you know, he said, you got a good build and, and, and your age is great. you got some longevity, but 
but if you want to learn how to work, you know, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to start training this one guy, uh, and, and he's, and he's a heel. He said, if you want to come in and be a baby face and, 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 and learn how to work, I'll just call everything on the outside of the ring. And, and I said, well, well, heck yeah. You know, so out of, out of probably 20, 25, 30 guys, you know, out at the air force base there, uh, out at that barn, uh, on a weekend basis, I was, I was the guy that, uh, that, that went in and spoke to star and, uh, and, um, was able to, to, to get that, you know, that spot like that. And that was a big honor. Um, you know, Jim knew all the boys from itself because they all came in there and trained. And, um, so it's just the right place at the right time. Like it always is in this business. And, uh, so I went in and that's a baby face. Uh, Jim Starr was on the outside, you know, calling some stuff and, uh, and, and, and that's how my training took off. So, um, but it was really, really good. We all, you know, we always kayfabed and, uh, I mean, we would go behind a shed to learn how to throw forearms and, you know, um, he, 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 he should tell us this. He'd say, I'm going to show you something today. He said, don't, don't show your friends. Don't show your effing girlfriend either. And we would just be working on forms behind the shed. I mean, that's how that's how it was back then, you know. I mean, the business was so taken care of, and, and you had your name on the line uh, bringing people in. So that's just kind of the way he uh, took care of his business, and and that's the way uh, Alex uh, started training. Now, you know, you're, you're mentioning young age, around 16 years old, and you said you were becoming friends with Jim Cornette. What was that like? Because I've had a chance to uh, work with Jim Cornette a couple times and had a chance to speak to him once or twice. And, you know, Jim's a great mind for the business. I mean, always has been, even from a young age. Jim Cornette is just one of those guys that just took to it. And obviously, as far as historians go, just one of the top guys as far as collectibles and everything else. But such an amazing guy to actually have a chance to sit down and talk with and kind of use as your entry into the business. Yeah, it was different, you know, because I was 16 years old and he was a, you know, they were heels, always were. And, um, and, you know, um, it, it kind of was different, no doubt, you know, and, and Jim was, he was young back then. I was 16. He was probably 23 years old, 24, you know, and just came out of Tennessee. And he was just a, a, a big time, uh, uh, photographer and, and I think a ring announcer there for a few years before, you know, he launched his career. So, he knew what it was like for somebody to stand around that was that was had some serious interest and, and had the right look. Um, so I think that he just kind of invested in me, just like somebody invested in him one day. And um, and and you know we just got the ball rolling like that. And uh, you know he was always real real busy. Uh, you know he went from Mid South over to World Class and then from World Class over to WCW. Uh, and we stayed in touch all the time. You know and 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 once I once I was you know, fully trained, which was probably, you know, six months later or so, if that, um, the next thing I did was, um, um, actually world-class was in Shreveport, Louisiana at a, uh, at a, at a big Texas, at a big, uh, 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 one of those mud truck things, you know, how they come in and bring those big trucks in and well, world-class had a ring in there and they, they brought some wrestling over. I think the Bon Eric's were there and Al Perez one night and, Akbar was there too, and so I drove my truck down to the arena uh, with a TV and a VCR. And uh, of course, this is uh, 1986, and of course, you could never do this anymore nowadays. I backed my truck up to the arena and had right to the right to the back door right there, and 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 I took a TV and a VCR out of the truck 
And I took it in the arena and walked it around to an empty room. I just looked for a room and I found a room and I put it in there and, and I set the deal up. Um, and I set the TV and the VCR up and I went and found Akbar and I said, Ak, you know, I, my name's Alex Porto. I did some training with Jimmy Webber, which is, you know, Jim Starr. Uh, I, I'm sorry, uh, Jim Starr and, um, uh, Jimmy Webber was actually Ak's name. And uh, he said, well, let's take a look at it. And so, you know, we walked in there and I showed him a tape of what I was doing. He said, well, I might be able to have some TV for you over in Dallas. And uh, so that was a huge honor. You know, I mean, actually, that's exactly what I came for to hear that. So I loaded up a TV and VCR, got my truck left and went home and told my dad. I said, Dad, I, I might start over in Dallas and world class for TV. I was uh, I went and saw Akbar today down at the down at the uh, Monster uh, Truck Show, and uh, and so, so that was huge. You know, right place at the right time. You being being uh, proactive. You know, you you got to be hungry. If you're hungry and you're 100, percent you run after it, and that's what I did. And um, so uh, I I took a bus to Dallas. It's 180 miles over to Dallas. My dad was a school teacher and a football coach, so he didn't have time to do that for me. But uh, he put me on the bus for, I think, 30, 40 bucks, and I went over to Dallas and shot my first TV taping. Uh, uh, Eric Embry was the booker, and my first t- uh, TV match was Cowboy Tony Falk in uh, World Class. Now, prior to meeting Akbar, had you had any – had you worked in the ring yet? Had you had any matches in the ring yet, or were you still training at that time? No, I had done a few things around Shreveport with some guys that really didn't know how to work. Uh, I was the only one that was really formally trained, if you call it that. And, you know, I, and I didn't make a big deal out of it. I was very thankful to have that. So, um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I, you know, did a few things. And, and so, you know, and I, of course I wrestled in high school as well. So this was still while I was in high school. So I was actually going to Dallas. I went to Dallas on a Friday night because they would do a house show on Friday night. And they would do TV on Saturday mornings. Well, there, I, I got over there Friday night and, um, and and shot TV on Saturday morning. So, and then I was back on Monday in school, sitting in class. And of course, uh, everything was on Channel Eleven that night, Saturday night. So the you know the the kids I was in school with actually saw me on TV while I was sitting in class on Monday morning. So it was a very very interesting start for me. You know, I was wrestling in high school and. Uh, becoming a pro wrestler at the same time in the world class. Now that's kind of a good, that's kind of an amazing or a great way to start. Cause at that time, you know, 87, eight, you know, world class was still one of the, uh, you know, territories starting to wind down a little bit. World class was still one of the territories. A lot of the guys wanted to work. You still had a lot of talent, you know, coming through the world class area at the time. And the sportatorium is one of the legendary, you know, arenas. So starting off there, to do the TV tapings, you know, you're working with Akbar, you mentioned Eric Embry, you know, you're a young kid. These are the guys you're seeing on TV. What was that like being in the sportatorium and working the TV and being with these guys? Cause as I said, at that time, Texas and you know, world-class was still, you know, was still a great territory. It was, it was unbelievable, man. And it was just, <laughs> it, it just felt like everything kind of felt in place and fell in place for me. And, and I had, I had done the right things, you know, to, to get there. I felt like, because I was trained right. And, and, and I had a great build and, and I was, I was just a natural for the business is what Akbar always told me. And, 
and, and you know, I was young and, and still couldn't work, you know, real well, but, but I was trained right. So, um, you know, I was in there with Al Perez and Chris Adams and Jimmy Jack Funk and, and Carrie and Kevin and, and Steve and Sean Simpson. Um, you know, so I had guys that knew how to work that were carrying me, uh, which is what guys don't have anymore. You know, all these guys that are working today are working with each other with the same experience. And you don't get better unless you work with people that are better. And, and that's what's hurting today. But uh, back to world class, it was, it was phenomenal, man. I mean, I, I, I never wanted it to end. You know, of course, I always had the big picture on my mind. And even though world class was a killer territory, a great place to start, it was always, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready to go to WCW or WWE because those were the two big boys at the time, uh, or Japan. Um, um, so I always had that in mind the whole time. Um, anyway, so, but it was great, man. It was, it was very, very good. Uh, after about, uh, a, I'd say a year there, maybe even less, you know, Jerry Jarrett was coming in and out from USWA. Uh, and like you said, world class was kind of kind of going, you know, not going down, but uh, it's kind of the time where the Bonners kind of had their situation. And um, um, well, it's actually a little bit later than that. But Jerry Jared had asked me, he said, Alex, would you like to go to Tennessee and be one of the Dirty White Boys? And I said, absolutely. And uh, I mean, that was really my first break. Uh, my first break, you know, being a world class, getting a spot on TV, you know. I was just putting guys over, but when, when Jerry Jarrett came to me and said, Alex, you want to be one of the dirty white boys, Lenny Denton had just gone back to Oregon. And, uh, so I replaced the original dirty white boys, uh, in USWA. And that was a huge honor because I came in and worked right on top with, uh, with Tony in main event matches against the Southern, the Southern Rockers all over the Tennessee territory. See, now there's another name. You know, I'm following your timeline. You and I are roughly right about the same age, you know, a couple of years difference in there. But this is when I was right. discovering world class was around 87, 88 because of ESPN. I've known Len Denton for a good 10 years. I mean, the fact you went in, he was going back to Oregon. I believe that was when he was going in to kind of be as the booker and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you go from world class, you go to USWA, Memphis, still a hot territory at that time. And like I said, you're relatively a young guy. This is an amazing way to start, you know, your career. You're not working, you know, the high school gymnasiums, the little, you know, shows like that. You know, you're Memphis TV. You're one of the, you know, the dirty white boys, Tony. You're working an amazing career to start. And this is just your start. We haven't even gone forth into, you know, what you did continuing on with Global and everything else. How was that? I mean, how were you able to take all that in as a young guy realizing everything you're doing right now? You know, like I said, I mean, I, I worked hard to get there. I mean, I, I, I trained right. I worked with the right guys. You know, the office saw the sacrifice I was making for taking a bus over from Louisiana, uh, coming into Dallas and, and shooting TVs. And they, they knew that they knew that I was devoted, you know, or Jerry wouldn't approach me like that. And, and you know, um, it, was, it was an honor. Um, I, went to, I went to Tennessee. Uh, and that it would, that push didn't last too too long. I guess I was there maybe three or four months, if that. But uh, um, we were with Ronnie Gossett and, um, and and Dirty White Girl, of course. That was Tony Anthony's uh, girlfriend at the time. Um, but um, so yeah, I was in and out of there for a little bit. We did a rare appearance down at Sportorium 
with uh, uh, world uh, with uh, I think it was USWA world class both at the same time. Anyway, uh, there was a big babyface turn that night with Billy Joe Travis. He came in and clocked me with a guitar, and that that got some really really good coverage, and that was good. Um, and then after that, um, I I ended up going down to Houston with um, um, Booker T and Stevie Ray, uh, Ahmed Johnson. And um, and Tug Tug Taylor, and and Chaz Chaz's his father had a school down there, and and I hung out down there for probably I don't know four or five months. And so Akbar, of course, you know we had a great relationship. He was out in Puerto Rico, and and he called me, and uh, or I may have called him. I don't know what it was. He was actually booking out there. Puerto Rico was a very very hot place to go to at the time. Uh, I mean, you worked at TV on Wednesday nights and did, you know, Thursday through Sunday, you did house shows. Um, so, I mean, you were all over the island working full time. But he said he had a spot for me out there. And uh, and I'd never been out of the country, didn't know where it was. And I really, truly asked him, I said, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to come out there. I said, what interstate do I take out of Miami to get there? He said, no, Alex, you got to get on a plane to come out here, young man. And I said, oh, okay. And <laughs> So anyway, uh, uh, I'd say a few weeks later, I packed everything I had and uh, and and I invested in a one-way ticket to San Juan. I bought that ticket myself. You know, the office doesn't fly in guys that they don't know. Um, you know, and, and and you know, although Akbar, I'm sure, vouched for me. Um, you know, that's just kind of the way the office was back then. Uh, because a lot of guys would come out there and they didn't know how to work. And the marks are very, very smart in Puerto Rico. So if you don't know how to work, they don't keep you. And, um, you know, and I was always confident in my work. I mean, I wasn't, but at the same time, I was going somewhere I'd never been either. You know, I didn't know how things were out there. Um, so I flew out and, uh, and I did TV on a Wednesday night and then, uh, and then we worked, uh, house shows Thursday through Sunday. And then Monday morning, I went to the office, which is what everybody would do. They go down the office on Mondays and, uh, you know, and, and, and I stepped in Carlos's office and, and he said, Hey, we like you. We want you to stay. So, um, I stayed in Puerto Rico for two years in 1991 and 92, um, working pretty much full time about the first year. Um, I came, I actually met a girlfriend, my girlfriend out there, who's my wife now for 25 years with three kids. And so obviously I, uh, I had, um, had some perks out there. A lot of, a lot of the boys didn't have, you know, I had a car, I had a place to stay. And when I came back out there the second time, I flew, I flew back to Louisiana for a few days and I came back out Well, Dick Murdoch was booking and, and Dick was a great guy, but, but I didn't know him and he didn't know me. And, and it was almost like, what are, you, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I've been working for a year, and I, you know, I'd like to continue working. Um, but uh, he didn't book me near as much. I mean, he would just book me sporadically. So, and like I said, I'd met my, my girlfriend down there, and I really liked her a lot, you know. So I just kind of, and I liked Puerto Rico. It was fun. Um, but, uh, but like I said, Murdoch wasn't booking me as much. Um, um he would actually he saw my wife's girlfriend. He said, "Hey, kid, you get me that? I'll fuck. I'll keep you booked." I was like, "You know, I mean, you know, come on, man. That's not what I'm here for. You know, I just, you know." And anyway, brother, I I I took my wife back to Louisiana, my girlfriend's time, and uh, and then I I said, "You know what? Let's just go back and 
and I know Axe back over in Dallas now, and uh, and and I'll I'll try to make a make a return out there. So uh, we flew into uh, Louisiana, and I got an apartment there in Louisiana with my girlfriend, and we would drive to Dallas on Friday nights for TV. Again, I was back doing the sportatorium thing, uh, going over to Dallas on Friday nights, shooting TV on Saturday mornings. Well, this time it was global. And it was Bill Irwin that was booking. And Bill Irwin said, Alex, welcome back. He said, I got a guy here named Sean Summers. He's the beach boy. He said, uh, let's look at you tonight. And uh, I think we'll bring you back next week and we'll call you the beach bully and put you guys together. So Bill Irwin put that together. And uh, and then we had a about, a I don't know, maybe a, a two-year run right there in Dallas uh, with all that. Um, not including Kendo Nagasaki that was living down there. Uh, in Dallas, and he came down one night, and and he was scouting some some Japan talent, and he asked me and Bradshaw and Stevie Ray and Booker, and I think Manny Fernandez was down there at the time, um, if we'd like to go to Japan. So, of course, we all jumped on that. Anybody wanted to go to Japan at that time, you know, and it was and it was good over there. Um, so uh, I ended up doing I think about eight tours over there between '92 and '90. Four, uh, 92, 93. We did a couple of shots over in Korea, uh, but that was very, very strong. Uh, Puerto Rico was a great place to work. Uh, nobody knew nothing until you went out and did it in the ring. You just did it on your own, and all you had was a good finish. And and then same thing in uh, Japan. You just you know you had a finish, and you, nobody spoke anything uh, any English, so everything was sign language, body language. You know, you just went out there and worked and worked hard. Um, so that was, that's old school, you know, that's the way I, I was brought up. And, um, I, uh, I remember getting the call in, uh, in Japan that, uh, Carrie had passed away and, and committed suicide. And, you know, everybody was pretty shook up Dallas, of course. And, you know, I'd give an Akbar ring and I, I, I think we flew in just in time for the funeral. And I know that me and, uh, Bradshaw and who else was there? I think James Beard, Scott Putsky. And I, I remember Owen and uh, and 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 Bret Hart came in for it. So wasn't wasn't a big turnout for the funeral for Terry. I don't know why it was, it was huge for you know people in general and family. But a lot of the boys, I don't know if they were kayfabe and maybe just kind of uh, did their thing the night before at the viewing or whatever. But I know that uh, as far as the boys being there, I want to say it was me and Putsky and JBL and. and James Beard, I believe, and, uh, and, and Owen and, uh, Brett. So that was interesting. Um, but, uh, I think I did a couple more trips back to Japan uh, from there, but, um, anyway, that's, that gets us caught up to about 1993. All right. Well, I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn now. I'm sure he's got a few questions for you as we continue on to hear more about your career. Yes, this is Rasslin' Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM, online radio, northland.org, with our special guest, Alex Porto. And, uh, wow, what a trip uh, we've taken so far uh, with your career. And, of course, you you mentioned some of the stops that you made, uh, of course, uh, in in Dallas and also in Memphis. Now, were you in long enough for Memphis to get a real taste of what the the, the road was like, the, the, the big infamous Memphis loop as far as the shows and and making it onto Memphis TV because, uh, I mean, that was a pretty big route and pretty important route. And getting the TV, I mean, 
that, that took a lot of work just to make it to TV. But what was that loop like uh, working in Memphis for for Jarrett? And you also mentioned that you went uh, to back down to Dallas. Uh, were you a part of that bus that traveled from from Memphis to Dallas too? Yeah, you know, when I went to Tennessee, that was the very first territory I ever worked. So, yeah, it was. It was a lot of miles. I mean, you know, we lived in Nashville. Uh, we ran Nashville on Saturday nights. We did Louisville on um, on Sundays. Uh, let's see, Monday night, I believe we were in Memphis. Um, and then Tuesday, I want to say Evansville, Indiana. I don't know. We, we, we you know, we ran, we ran all those, all those towns. Uh, uh, we had TV. No, let's see. I'm trying to think. No, we did, we did Friday nights in Mid-South Coliseum, Saturday, which was in Memphis. And then we'd wake up Saturday morning and shoot TV uh, at the studios there. And then we would get in our car and drive to Nashville and work that night. And then we would have Louisville the next night. And then, uh, and then I think we did Evansville, Indiana. Um, and then, uh, and then we did, we filled, we always filled in some spot shows during the week there. Um, can't think of the guy's name right now. Uh, buddy something. I, I can't think of it right now. Um, but yeah, that was a fun, it was fun. Um, you know, it was, it was my first taste of really, you know, not the big time because I was big time was world-class for me, you know, but it was my first time as a big time working on top. So that was very strong. You know, I had a killer build and I came in with Tony Anthony. Tony was a great, great worker and, uh, and, 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 and people respected me, you know, they really did because they, they knew I knew how to work, you know? And, and of course, back then when you came in, if you didn't know how to work, you weren't, you weren't brought in, you know? So, you know, and, and, and if you did know how to work, you better look like a worker. You know, um, and I think that that's why, you know, Jerry put me where he put me. He knew I could carry that spot. You know, if he didn't think I could, he wouldn't have done that. So, um, you know, uh, being one of the dirty white boys, uh, especially as long as that team was put together, uh, it was just totally phenomenal, man. I mean, I, I, I couldn't ask for a better spot at the time, man. And uh, that was a fun loop. I mean, because I knew, I knew, I knew Billy Joe from World Class. Uh, I knew Jeff Jarrett, you know, from World Class. Um, you know, the, those guys were coming in, um, just just doing my own thing before I was a Dirty White Boys, and so it was uh, it was a big plus, you know, to to have come in there and and to have known some of the boys already. So um, it was it was it was very strong. I really enjoyed Memphis. Um, it was it was great. Now, let's talk a little bit about Global before we uh, head into uh, how you made it to the World Wrestling Federation because I, I every day, you know, during I get home from school or even in the summertime around 3 o'clock our time, we'd watch uh, Global. And, of course, when it first came on, uh, all the way up to the last few days. Uh, man, you, I remember you very well, especially that tag team with the uh, with the Beach Bullies with Sean Summers. But I also remember some a tag team uh, you, you working with Guido Falcone. I also remember uh, you also wrestling in some, some matches uh, – uh, with Mike Lane, uh, you worked against Mike Davis, Stephen Dane. I mean, there's some really good names, uh, some 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 great talent. And when I think about uh, a guy pretty underrated, was was Mike Davis. I mean, he had definitely one of the more interesting characters uh, while he was in Global. But this guy was definitely uh, had a lot of great experience uh, behind him as he was was entering into uh, the Global territory. And you had an opportunity to work with him. Did you have much of a connection with him uh, outside of the ring? 
Mike and I were great friends. We really were. And Mike, Mike, let me tell you something. He wasn't really underrated. He had a long run, man. He was one of the rock and roll RPMs. And that was before the rock and roll express, uh, or, or right about that time. And those guys were hills, you know? And so Mike had a good run. He knew how to work. He had a great mind for the business. And he was just having fun in global because he was kind of wrapping up his, his career there, you know, and, and just having some fun with that gimmick with maniac Mike. And, uh, and you know mike mike was always just a straight level guy you know i remember traveling with mike a lot uh on the roads in louisiana and texas and let me tell you something he never went a mile above the speed limit um i don't believe i ever ever heard him because um he was always real good with boys uh you know he would crack the boys necks in the back um if you needed if you needed a, a, a high spot or something or you needed to tweak your finish you could always depend on walking up to Mike Davis and saying, Hey brother, this is what I got. You know, what do you think? Uh, blah, 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 blah. And you say, well, you know, do this, change this, pull this out. And, you know, and, 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 and that's what guys don't do anymore. You know, they think that they know what they're doing and they, and they, and they don't care uh, enough to walk up to somebody and say, Hey, this is what I'd like to do. What do you think about that? You know what they do today? They come up and ask you when the match is over. And then the time to tweak the match is, before you go out, you know, and, and anyway, I know I'm getting a little bit off there, but, uh, but Mike, Mike was a great, great guy. I always enjoyed being around him. You know, he died on Christmas day many years ago. And, uh, and, and, and that was very sad, but, uh, yeah, Mike was good people. Oh, I mean, I loved. It. I mean, following. I mean, I think he got a, him and, and Tommy really, really got some true uh, respect and got a great rub in, in Puerto Rico when you start. You know, you, you follow. I was following the after mags and stuff when I was a kid, and I noticed. I mean, I saw them work enhancements with the NWA and always Mike. Whether he's working with, with Tommy or working singles, always seemed to put together a pretty good match. But I really think that uh, this Puerto Rico really got it right when they booked him, as far as you know, booking the RPMs to, to the and giving them the respect they deserve because. This was a very, very good team. Just a very I, I, under underappreciated, I should say, by the mass populace of pro wrestling fans here as uh, time goes on. Yeah, yeah. Mike was a hell of a worker. He really was, man. And speaking of tag teams, I mean, you guys, you got the chance to work with, uh, you mentioned uh, Booker T and, and Stevie Ray, uh, Harlem Heatwall, the Ebony Experience. I mean, they just recently uh, were put into the WWE Hall of Fame as a tag team as Harlem Heat. But I can remember following them uh, in the global days. And, of course, they had worked in, in the Texas territories uh, coming out of uh, Ivan Putsky's school. But what do you remember uh, early on with those guys? Because both of them ended up with some pretty pretty damn good careers. I mean, Booker ended up taking the ball and, and going above and beyond but what do you remember uh working with stevie ray a young stevie ray and, and booker t because it seemed like when i remember watching them even when they weren't quite as polished they just seemed to have that 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 upside potential those guys were hungry man you know i actually uh had gone to puerto rico you know well let me back up i was in in 1990 i was down there with those guys working out and doing some things we did a few shows around houston I went to Puerto Rico for two years. I came back to Dallas. I remember I was in Dallas, the Dallas Auditorium, and, and working with Global. And I remember Stevie and Booker coming up, just being proactive, trying to get their foot in the door. And, of course, I'd already known those guys. And, and you know, uh, that was a big step for them, you know, because I remember those guys showing so much respect that they didn't even come in the locker room, bro. They were on the outside of the locker room. 
uh, being respectful and, and, and that's just the way it was back then. You know, um, if you didn't, you know, of course I was in with Akbar and, and, and it was very, very, you know, I was one of the boys, you know, with the company. So I was in the locker room, but I remember coming out to my music and coming out to my Mac and there was Booker and Stevie right there just waiting for, I don't, I don't know if they're waiting for Akbar to come back and come out or Eric Embry or whatever, but, but, you know, and I always put them over and I said, brother, just keep doing what you're doing. Something's going to happen. You know, it happened for me. It's going to happen for you guys. And, uh, and, and before you know it, uh, I would say two weeks later, those guys came in, they were shooting TV as everything experience. So, you know, it, 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 you know, it, although it was very hard to get in back then, um, if you had the look and, and, and the right attitude and, and, and the, and the mindset and the hunger, they, 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 they saw that, you know, and, and they didn't kayfabe guys like that, you know. Um, so, I, I, like I said, within a couple of, couple of weeks, uh, they were in the locker room, and I said, welcome to Global, man. I'm so glad you guys are here. Same thing with Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed came in about the same time. And, um, but Booker and Stevie were great, great guys. They, um, they, they, they were always much bigger than everyone else, but, but when it came time to working in the ring, um, they were they were never selfish. They always um, worked hard. Um, you know, they always wanted to have good matches. And, and you know, uh, of course, Stevie was a monster. You know, everything he did was was big guy stuff. Um, and, and you know, and 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 you had to make sure that that was stayed that way. You know, because you can't you can't work with somebody in a different way if their body language isn't you know that you know you follow what i'm saying so uh you know we always had to keep stevie over real real big and strong because gosh he was such a big guy you know but booker on the other hand and booker was a big guy but he was a lot more agile you know he could do the arm drags and drop kicks and, and back slides and stuff and stevie we would just do the easy stuff you know let him do the press slams and you know drop us on our backs or whatever but uh but you know it was great, man. I you know it was good. It was good breaking in that way, uh, watching the guys doing the right thing, um, uh, getting trained properly, um, showing respect. Uh, you know, which is it's it, that's absent today in a lot of ways. It really is. But uh, but yeah, Global was great, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, all the boys. I mean, Scott Putsky, Stephen Dane, Akbar, Gary Young. Um, you know, Tom Pritchard came in and out of there a little bit. Uh, you know, Booker T, Stevie, Bill Irwin. Um, we we had a blast out there, man. It was it was fun. It was you know um, uh, because really at the time, uh, Tennessee was pretty much uh, wrapping up at the time, and um, you know, Pettacino came in there a little bit there uh, at the end, and then Jim Crockett came in at the end of Global to try to save it a little bit, but uh, that just didn't work. And, uh, and then Global diminished around 1994, and that's whenever I headed to Florida. All right, we're going to skip forward a little bit. We're going to go into your time with the, uh, the WWF. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will remember you there where you wrestled as the pug, Alex Porto. This was still at a time, though, when there was a lot of guys coming in and they were giving him the different gimmicks. I believe you were in there at the same time. Uh, I think Tony, that was the uh, T.O. Hopper. He had Tracy Smothers was Freddie Joe Floyd. Bill Irwin, another guy you worked with, was the goon. For some reason, they were still bringing guys in, and they were giving him the gimmick characters to play. 
you came in, you got to work your own name. You have the nickname of the pug, but how did you get started in the WWF and where did they come up with that gimmick? And what was it like working at that time where a lot of the guys you were, you worked with in the past were coming in with you, but being saddled with the, the gimmicks that just kind of, they never went anywhere. Well, you know what, to be honest with you, that was the greatest production I've ever worked for, but it was also kind of a rip. You know, I, I was a, I was a hell of a worker, you know, and I'd been in Japan eight times and, 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 you know, uh, worked all over the country and, 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 and put in a lot of time. And, uh, you know, I was in a, in, in Texas, uh, WWF was in Texas and, and I went, I was in, uh, I think it was, uh, San Antonio. I worked with the Godwins one night and, uh, and, and they, they enjoyed that match. And I think the next, uh, yeah, it was San Antonio. Then the next night we were in uh, we were in uh, Corpus Christi, and and we you know both nights were TV. That's when they looked at guys uh, unless you were on the main roster, and and you know those were only three, four, four or five minute matches at the time. So <clears throat> had a decent little match with Godwin's, and the next night we were in uh, Corpus, and and Gold Dust was on deck, and I had just gone out and 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 worked a tag, uh, a dark match tag. Uh, they were looking at us there, and 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 Goldust uh, was up next. And I just came through the curtain and came through the back, and they said, "Listen, X Pac is up with Goldust, but his neck's tweaked out a little bit. So you'd run out there and work with Goldust." So I said, "Sure." And uh, so you know, uh, I ran back out there with the referee, and and then Goldust and Marlena's music hits, and they come out, and and you know, Dustin and I, we we didn't go over nothing and say a word and you know of course those guys knew i could work and that's why uh, i think that they saw confidence in throwing me right back out there you know and and so you know uh gold dust and i went out there for about six minutes and had a great match and just did it you know uh did it on the fly and and when i came back um uh i remember i think it was bruce pritchard he said you know we might have something for you i'll be in touch with you and and yeah you know uh, you never know, man. Just right place, the right time. You know, I I had no intentions of getting picked up, uh, although I would have loved to. You know, like anyone else is coming in shoot TV. Everybody wants to get a full time spot. Well, they called and they said, "Well, you know, it looks like we got something for you." And I'm thinking, "Wow, this is killer." You know, and it was. Don't get me wrong, but they said, "Okay, you know, uh, we're going to bring in the tight towers and and, and and get your contracts all signed up." And, and so, so you know, didn't know this, but they were talking to five guys at the same time. They were talking to Freddie Joe. They were talking to T.L. Hopper. They were talking to Sal Sear. Uh, they were talking to Nightheart. And they were talking to me. Uh, I think it was all of us. Well, we everybody ends up landing in New York at the same time. And we take a limo to the Titan Towers, all of us together. And, and you know, they ran us uh, through the building and showed us everything. And the last thing we went to was Creations what they called it back then and and uh, they asked me they asked everybody what gimmicks they did i said well i was alex porto breaking in uh, alex porto you know uh dallas and then i went to be one of the dirty white boys and, uh, uh, and then i went out to puerto rico just as alex porto came back to global as the beach bully uh and then i went over to japan and did some stuff you know and uh, and i said well you know before i got into wrestling i was an amateur wrestler in high school and and then you know and, and I said that's pretty much all the things I've ever done you know and and so 
they took that, and I'd say about four days later, you know, Bruce Pritchard called me and said, listen, you're going to be an amateur wrestler. You just came out of college. You know, you're young. You're still learning how to work. Um, we're either going to call you the pit bull or the pug. Well, Craig Pittman was when he was in Atlanta at the time as the pit bull. So uh, they ended up going with a pug. So the office came up with that. They came up with everything. And, and, uh, and we flew into Milwaukee for the first, uh, pay-per-view, which was the night that, uh, uh I think it was Jerry Lawler. Uh, it was King of the Ring. That's what it was. It was King of the Ring in Milwaukee. Uh, and none of us, none of us actually worked that night. We actually worked the next night on Raw. Uh, no, we had the night off on Raw, and then Barry Horwitz put me over on Superstars that Tuesday night. Um, so that was my first, my first match in the WWF, uh, getting over uh, as the plug. And thank you, Barry Horwitz, for doing that for me. That was awesome. Just ran into Barry up in New uh, New Jersey at a convention. That was a great convention put on, by the way, uh, up in Monroe. I just got in last, last week on that. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, it was uh, Barry put me over and uh, established the pug, and um, and then I and then you know from there I came home and you know back then they ran one pay per view a month, and then on Monday uh, they would run uh, a live raw, and then they would tape three rolls in the same night so they didn't have to fly all the boys around on Mondays. And then, you know, Lawler and uh, Jim Ross would call it live in the, uh, in the Titan Towers to make it look like it was a live show. Uh, yeah. And the same thing, and the same thing on superstars, you know, they would, they would they'd film one live, I believe. And then they, you know, uh, or shoot one live and then do three, three, uh, three shows. So, you know, um, WWE was interesting. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I only worked. Uh, I, I went in on Sundays for the pay per views. We all did. We went on Sundays for the pay per view. We did. We worked Monday Night Raw. We generally put guys over on Raw, and then on Superstars they would put us over. And I'll tell you why they brought us in because they brought us in because they were tired of booking enhancement talent to the shows and either their gear was just, or, or they didn't have, they, you know, they didn't have tans or, the, or, or their work wasn't quite right. Well, they thought, well, you know what? Let's bring in our own guys. We'll put some gimmicks on them. We'll put them on the road with us. And then we'll know what kind of workers we got on the road. And, 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 and you know, we'll do that. So, um, you know, yes, it was a spot. It wasn't the spot I wanted to have. I mean, you know, um, you know, on Monday Night Rawls, I would, you know, they would say, Alex, you got four minutes with Farouk, you know, just get with Farouk on his finish. You know, and then the next month, Alex, you got three minutes with Cactus Jack or Mankind. You know, just get with him, you know. And then, then the next time it would be, hey, Alex, you you got Vader. Just get with Vader and Cornette. They'll go over You know what I mean? And it, it was it was good, but but they knew that we knew how to work. So, so you know, they – I don't know. It was an interesting deal, but uh, uh, we did some international stuff events, you know, and 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 that was real, real fun over in uh, Germany. Uh, uh, did some house shows, you know, whatever, wherever the boys lived. Like Sal Sincere was up in uh, uh, Philly, so when they ran the Philly area, they would put Sal on those loops, and when they were in Florida, they put me on the loops down here, uh, you know, and, and same thing with Tennessee with Tony Anthony. Um, but, 
But I, I did get to work with Tom Brandy over Monday uh, Monday Night Raw over in Berlin. That was really, really good. Uh, I worked with Jim Neidhart down in uh, Miami on a house show. That was real strong. I worked with JBL in the garden on a Sunday afternoon with uh, Zebekai out there, Dutch Mantel. So um, it was good. I mean, you know, I'm not going to knock the whole thing. I mean, I was just I was a much, much stronger worker for what they utilized me for. And, and I wanted it to go further, but it didn't. Well, also you could say that, you know, maybe you kind of ended up a little bit on the better side because they brought you in. They said, Hey, you're going to be an amateur wrestler. We're going to call you the pug, but you weren't a wrestling plumber or a hockey player or who, or the Italian guy, you know, with the hat and the jacket and everything that came out, you actually got to be a wrestler. So you might say maybe you kind of came out a little bit better. <laughs> yes. After many years, people did tell me that. I thought about it. I thought, you know what? You're right. I was blessed. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, I think that I think that um, I was the guy that struck, the, struck the, the match underneath for them to go get Kurt Angle. They thought, you know what? If, 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 if we can get, if, if we got this, um, what would it be like if we had a a real Olympic amateur wrestler in here, you know? And um, um, and you know, and you know what? That, that's great. I wasn't a Kurt Angle, you know. Um, but I, I, you know, um, but that's okay. Uh, I I I think that I was an inspiration for them to bring him in. Um, you know, um, you know, I've I've been told that many times, you know, from different people. Um, but anyway, so. Uh, you know, that lasted about a year and a half or so. And then, you know, the, we all just kind of faded out uh, whenever they started going. Uh, uh, what happened at the time there was all these big matches started taking off. And so every Monday Night Raw was almost like the pay-per-view. I mean, they were just all strong matches. So, you know, they didn't have Sal Sincere or me or, or TL and those. I mean, they just all had their upper talent. So that just kind of faded out for us, you know, and, and it didn't turn into anything else but that. And so, you know, Sal Sears always calls us a kiss to death five, you know, uh, they knew what they were going to do with us. They knew, they knew we could work, uh, but they also knew that that's what they had in mind for us. And that's all they needed us for. And that's all we were going to get. So, and that's all we got, you know, but, but you know what, I'll take it. It was the best company I ever worked for. Uh, I made some good money with Vince. Uh, I, I, I appreciate it. I'm in all the encyclopedias. I wouldn't have the name or the resume that I've got right now if I was for the WWF. So I'm, I, I was proud to be there. Um, and I still say to this day, I don't care what company uh, uh, arises or, or comes up, uh, there will never be another WWE. I'm definitely going to have to agree with you on that one. Um, we're getting close here. I know we've got a few minutes left. We're going to skip forward a little bit more because I know now you know, you go along, I've, I've seen you at the Hall of, this is sad, I've seen you at the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame last couple of years, you show up out there every direction weekend. Sadly, though, I see you, I recognize you, but I don't realize it's you until I come back home and I see somebody with a picture, and they say, oh, it's me and Alex Porto, and I'm like, damn, I, w- I, I didn't get a chance to meet him. So I'm going to have to make do, I'm going to have to make better on that next year um, at the Hall of Fame. I'm going to definitely have to make sure to find you and you know, introduce myself and get a photo with you. But um, along with stuff like that, though, you've also gotten involved in training yourself. Now you're, you're, you're training, you run a school, uh, pro wrestling 2.0. 
Um, like I said, we're getting the last few minutes there. Let's kind of wind up a little bit. Let's talk about Pro Wrestling 2.0 and kind of what you're doing now. And, you know, we'll, we'll go with that for the end here. Good. Well, we launched uh, Pro Wrestling 2.0 uh, three years ago. I, I was coaching. I was coaching at another school here, and you know, just kind of, you know, because I always enjoyed the business. And, and my wife said, "Well, heck, why don't you just start your own thing?" And uh, so I did. So uh, when I got a ring and, and and got a building, and we launched Pro Wrestling 2.0 Training Center, uh, LLC, and and I did an open. Uh, I did an open house, and I think we had like five, six people show up, and I think maybe one or two signed up. And I thought, well, you know what? Uh, if I'm going to make this thing pop, I'll probably need to run a show and get some eyes on us, you know. And um, um, so we, we ran, matter of fact, uh, this is our three-year anniversary. We ran, I think, June 3rd, and we called it Summer Sizzle three years ago. Uh, we had the Dudley boys on there, the, the twins, uh, Devon's uh, kids. Uh, we had Santana Garrett. We had... Uh, we had some decent names, you know, because there's a lot of great local names down here. And and from there, 2.0 took off. Uh, Jesus Rodriguez, uh, which was, uh, I'm trying to think of his name, up in WWF. Uh, you know, he's a great, great worker out of California. You know, he's a Lucha Libre guy. And, uh, he, uh, I brought him in as one of the trainers. Uh, I think our first heavyweight, matter of fact, our first heavyweight champion was Sammy Callahan. Um, you know, but we have, uh, we have probably brought into pro wrestling 2.0, uh, more, more top indie stars than anybody in Florida. Um, but, uh, we've, uh, fast forward to three years. I mean, we're, we're, we've got, check it out. Pro wrestling 2.0 on YouTube, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Uh, we're, we're rolling real good right now. We've got a great production team with us. Uh, and, and, and we have launched our TV on Jarrett Promotions, uh, uh, pay-per-view, uh, uh, channel. Um, uh, and I, it's, I think it's starting on, uh, uh, Fire Stick now or Amazon. So anyway, we are just scratching the surface on that. We've got a great school. We've got, uh, we've got, uh, Mecca Wolf 450, one of the best Lucha guys out there right now, uh, as our head trainer, we've got, uh, We've got Gentleman Jack. Jack comes in every other Wednesday. Of course, he's still with 205 Live. Uh, he, he comes in and trains uh, every other Wednesday. Uh, we've got uh, Eric Lockhart. Uh, the Lockharts are a great tag team out of the, the Ganya School. They did a lot for uh, Booker T. Uh, they're down here now. Uh, those guys are fantastic workers. So we've got probably 15 students, uh, probably three or four girls, and, and, and we're doing well. Uh, we shoot one quality show. Uh, generally the first uh, first Tuesday of each month. Uh, we've got training Monday through, thir- uh, Monday through Thursday, 7 o'clock. Uh, dues are 300 a month or 1500 for a year. Uh, our website's uh, www.prowrestling20.com. Check us out there. Uh, but, you know, we're doing well. You know, for many years I was one of the boys, and now I'm giving back as uh, booking and, and as a promoter. So, um, you know, uh, it, it's different being on the side of the fence, but, um, but it's great to be, to be, uh, in a position to where we have a real office. Uh, we've got agents in the back, you know, calling quality finishes. Um, and we've, we've got a lot of great talent flocking to us all over Florida because there's a ton of talent down here. They know that they're, 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 they're getting their matches critiqued. They're in right angles. We're telling the right storylines 
and most indie companies down here or even around uh, anymore they don't have that they're missing that they don't you know the, the you know uh, so 2.0's taken off and we're real happy we got some big things coming down the pipe we haven't made any announcements yet but uh, we're getting ready to get that in writing and uh, we'll go from there now I did a quick uh, look up real fast uh, it was Ricardo Rodriguez in uh, the WWE as his first as Alberto Del Rio's personal ring announcer. Um, one thing I'd like to ask you though, before we wrap this up, um, currently, you know, like you said, when you broke into the business, it was harder to break in than now you're running a school currently. and You've got a great training class. I've looked it up online and seen some of your stuff, but what is your opinion though on the current indie scene where, like I said earlier, there's a wrestling school anywhere you want to throw, you know, stones throw away and you can walk into a wrestling school. Some are good. Some are bad. You know, I mean, yeah. but, you know, what is your opinion kind of on the current situation? Because I think to me, maybe it's a little oversaturated with guys that, oh, I worked in the ring. Now I can train people that maybe actually shouldn't be training at this time. Uh, uh, a little oversaturated with that? You mean a lot. I <laughs> sacrifice I sacrifice people coming in that tell me that they're just going to play wrestling. They're going to do, you know, they, they, they're they going to, you know, they would, they want to be an indie guy because I evaluate them when they come in. If that's what they're talking about, we don't take them to pro wrestling. 2.0 is not, not about money. It's about making superstars in, in the world of pro wrestling full time. We don't take no part timers. We don't take no pizza drivers. We don't take no tow truck drivers. We take pro wrestlers. I mean, if, if you're devoted to be a pro wrestler, then 2.0 is for you. Other than that, you, there's a school down there. There's a school down the road. You know, if you want to go hang out at the skating rink with all the kids uh, that don't train, you know, uh, they don't have proper gear. They don't, you know, and, and I feel bad for them. But you know, they're they're content with that because uh, they get to play wrestle, you know, and uh, you know whatever. I mean, you know, uh, to each his own. But uh, I, I'm very very old school. I'm very business. I don't tolerate a lot of bull crap. Um, I tell my guys straight up, if you don't pay your dues, you're out of here. You know, um, um, you know, we get a lot of kids that come in for three or four months and, 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 and they'll, you know, somebody will ask them if they want to work on a show or something. And, uh, and, you know, I've got to, I've got to shoot that down because none of our guys, uh, debut anywhere outside of 2.0. And uh, we've had a couple of guys uh jumped the gun on us on on that without a you know with with all due respect that was very disrespectful and we cut him loose and 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 i got a hold of the promoter i said listen that guy's not fully trained you know you shouldn't have booked him um and that's the problem now because you know you know if you run across a real promoter or, or somebody's been in the business they're gonna say you know what let me give alex a call and see if this guy's good to go but they don't do that you know, and uh, because first of all, they're probably intimidated because they've never been in the business. You know, they got their tax tax money back, and they went out and bought a ring, and now they're a promoter. You know, and that's the kind of people you deal with nowadays. I mean, the business is oversaturated with people that don't belong in the business, and that's what's wrong with the business. Um, you know, everybody can't be an NFL football player. Everybody can't be in the NBA. You know, everybody can't be in the Olympics. Well, guess what? Everybody can't be a pro wrestler either. You know, and uh, and th th that that's the problem today, and it's not regulated, um, and um, and and we got some strong issues there, and 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 it's killed the business. You know, especially these guys that come in, they they really don't know how to work. 
So they think they bring a kendo stick out the table and, and, and jump off a ladder, then, then they're going to get the fans' attentions. Well, you know what? They do, but they really can't work, you know? And that's why they draw to that because they really don't know what they're doing. Um, and, and it's just, it's killed the business. It really has all these gimmick matches. You know, it's fine if it's part of a production that has a right roster, but when, but, but, but when that's all you do and, and, and that's all your, uh, all your, your, your workers do. And if you want to call them workers, that's just, uh, that's, it's, it's wrong. It shouldn't be out there. Uh, everyone knows my opinion on that. Uh, and, and, you know, um, it is what it is. Uh, you know, you can't change that um, at this point. Um, I mean, so many veterans have just really disappeared because they're just they're they're just done with it. I mean, you know, you can't you can't tell these kids anything. If you give them, a, you, you could be at I could be at a show and walk up to a couple of kids that 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 looks like they got some decent talent, you know, uh, and and they may even come over and ask me something, and I'll give them something, and they'll go out in the ring and and totally change it. You know, when a veteran tells you something or gives you advice, they're giving you something that has gotten over many years in many different territories and many different arenas in front of thousands of people. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You keep it simple, keep a simple story, and you'll do just fine. But, every, it, you know, these kids nowadays, they go out there and they, they run through all these high spots and they, they don't even acknowledge the crowd. If the crowd's going to the left and the match is going to the right, well, they keep going with the match because – that's all they called in the back. I mean, you know, they, they don't even know how to go out there and work on the fly anymore. And uh, it's just, you know, it's it just gotten out of hand. It, it really has. And uh, I, don't, I don't mean to sound sour about it, but uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's terrible. It really is. All right. Well, Glenn, I'm going to pass the mic back over to you because I'm sure the timekeeper has been uh, knocking on the table for a few minutes already. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? It was time well spent. And it is now time to wrap up this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. A big thank you to our guest, Alex Porto. Doors always open for a return engagement for you, sir. Thank you for taking so much time out of your schedule to share your wrestling memories uh, with us today. Cool, guys. I appreciate you guys. And uh, great hearing from me. I'd love to come back home sometime. And uh, you guys take care. We'll talk soon, okay? Absolutely. For Alex Porto and the Grizzled Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories Then and Now.